Hey there, welcome to a special edition New River Church podcast. These recordings were done at our most recent Holy Spirit weekend in which Lydia O'Leary taught us about freedom. I think you're going to really be blessed by this. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, you could just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Holy Spirit, we welcome you again. All of you. (laughs) All of you, God, all of you. Fill this room, rise up within each one of us. Spirit of wisdom and knowledge, counsel and might, fear of the Lord, truth, understanding, God. Fill this room that we would know the fullness of who you are, that we would know the love that surpasses all knowledge, that we would be filled to all the measure of who you are. God, we know that more real in you than anything we've ever known, anything that this world puts forth, God, that there's something more real, something that our hearts have been longing for, our very existence has cried out for, and you are the one who fulfills it and who brings us into the truth. And in that truth, we get set free. So God, have your way today. Spirit of truth, move through this room. Father, that every, every bit of truth that's been spoken would uh, be planted firmly and deeply, that it would begin to grow and it would produce a harvest of righteousness. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for each one here. Continue to bless us. God, bless this time as we go forward. And that you would be honored and glorified and seen in all of it because you are amazing and what you've done is amazing. We're just so incredibly thankful to be your children. We love you. Right. So a little bit of a recap because I know it's been a minute. What do you guys remember from the last session? <laughs> you should have the paper still in front of you, so just shout it out. We have everything that we need. We have the fullness of the Spirit. There are seven spirits of God. Yeah, Lord, increase and rise them in us. We are redeemed back to our original value. If something rises that creates opposition to God, another person, or myself, it has the enemy's fingerprints on it. Nothing can come back without my permission or agreement. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. There's freedom for everything. <laughs> There's freedom for everything. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That was the point. 
All right, we good? Everybody feel like we've got a good understanding so far? We know who we are. Are we becoming new? We are new. We are new. We are new. You guys got it. <laughs> we are new. We are growing in the spirit. That's the process that we see. But we are new. We are getting rid of everything, every sin, everything that would try to easily entangle us and hold us. And we're saying, yeah, not today, Satan. You're not part of me and you need to go now. I'm not putting up with your crap. I'm done. I'm a child of God. I know who I am. I know what I've been given. We've been given all seven spirits of God, which is greater than anybody in the Old Testament. <laughs> In Christ, he's the one. The flaming eyes of Jesus are the seven spirits of God. And he was the fullness of the deity in human form. And in Christ, we too have been brought to fullness. You are equipped for this. You don't need me to kick something out of you. Christ paid for you to walk in freedom and to walk in the authority as a child of God. And so that's what we're teaching. We're not teaching that you have to go to somebody to get delivered. Jesus paid for it already. You're already a child of God. Yeah, you might want to have somebody help back you up in it, but it's your words, your agreement that either lets something stay or tells them they have to go. That's who you are, and that's what you've been given. You are equipped for every good work. There's nothing that is impossible, which is such good news. It's such good news. So now we come to the third thing. We need to know who we are. We need to know what we've been given, and we need to know who God is. And I remember God kind of really saying that you need to know who I am, you know, in my head and I'm like, all right, God, I sit down at my computer. Well, who are you? You know, and honestly, what I was expecting him to say in the context of all of this, I was expecting him to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, like this like monstrous, like, Rah. and uh, that's not what he said. He said, um, I'm your rest. And I sat with that for a minute. It's like, that's different. <laughs> I'm your rest. So we're going to look at that today. What does it mean that God is our rest? The first thing that we want to look at is the nature of God. I put a bunch of verses right there. You can look them up. But ultimately, what each of those verses tell us is that God is unchanging. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? And we know this, and yet for some reason, I always felt like the God of the Old Testament seemed very different than the God of the New Testament or the God that I knew. And that was because I didn't understand the shadow. I didn't understand the dynamics, the picture that was being put in place so that we would understand the fullness. 
I didn't understand these things. So we're going to look at who God is and see if God is consistently our rest in all of Scripture. Because the Bible says that he stays the same. So we look at the creation account, right? God did the work of creating. God didn't create man on the first day to help him. <laughs> right? God created every day. He made the heavens and the earth, the light, the darkness, the stars, the moon, the animals, the trees, the plants, all of it. He did it all. And on the sixth day, he made man. When he was all done creating, he probably was like, I don't want you to touch it. <laughs> right? He doesn't need our help to accomplish things. He didn't create us on the first day. He created us on the sixth day. I want you to also look at the order of the established day. When we read the creation account, each day in, the, in a Hebrew day in the Jewish calendar begins in the evening. Did you know that? It begins in the evening and it goes to the next evening. And so that's why it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day. So God's order of the day is actually, it starts right before you go to bed. You start with rest, and you go into work. You go into being out of that. Now, we've changed the day to start in the morning. We get up, and we feel like we need to work to rest. That's the mindset. We have to work to almost earn our rest. We have to work to be able to vacation. We have to work to retire. We have to work towards our rest. We have to work towards it. Even our, the order of our day is get up. It's, that's the start of the day. And we get to the place where we can just go to bed. Because we've completed. Well, that's not how God designed it. God designed the day that you say, thank you for this day, good night, and you go to sleep, and you rest, and you rest, and you rest, and you rest for a good, solid amount of rest time, and then you wake up, and out of that rest is produced all of the image of God in you. That's the order of the day. We see it woven into that very order, that God is not interested in us being workhorses. He's interested in us starting with rest and living from that place. On the sixth day, he created man, and on the seventh day, he rested. So not only were we created on the last day of creation, but our first day was a day of rest. <laughs> He's like, hey, Welcome. Let's rest. He didn't say, let's get to work. There's a lot to be done. No. Welcome. Let's rest. Out of all the days of creation, God blessed only one. What day did he bless? Was it Monday? <laughs> he, he blessed the seventh day the Sabbath, and he made it holy. Now, one thing I want you to notice, because it's going to come into play a little bit later in this teaching as well, is that at the end of every single day of creation, there's a closure. Beginning, 
the evening, and there was morning the first day, evening, morning the second day, evening, morning. We get to the seventh day, and there is no end. That's going to mean something for us. There was not another Monday coming. I'm just going to put that out there for you. The week was not starting again. God had already created everything. The seventh day was the completion, and it was no ending. Look it up if you want, if you don't believe me. But it's there. I'm telling you, it's there. All right, so then we look at God, our rest in the shadow, right? So we come into this redemption picture, this blueprint, where God is trying to teach them about redemption, about the Sabbath, about rest, about who he is, all of this. So he's given them this day to be able to understand that they don't have to rely on their own strength, that, that they can rely on him. That's what this whole thing is about. Like, learn, Israel, <laughs> right? So he, he, they're in the wilderness, and they're, they're hungry, and they're complaining. We, are, we want some food. We need some food. Moses, where's the food? And, uh, and they actually begin to grumble and complain, and they say, wouldn't it have been better for us <laughs> would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It was better for us in Egypt when we can control our own situation, God. Here we have to wait on you. And we think you're going to kill us by hunger. After everything you just did to save us, we think you're going to kill us by hunger, right? It's better for us. They had a measure of control in Egypt when they were slaves. They could control what meat was put in their pot, that they could eat dinner at night. They didn't have that control here. And they were upset about that. They were willing to trade their freedom back to slavery because then they could control what was happening. So the Lord says, okay, I hear you're grumbling. It's a little annoying, but I hear it. Um, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you manna, right? And then he gives the instructions. We know this. You're going to have manna. Gather it every day in the morning, but don't hang on to any of it overnight. Get just what you need for the day. I'm going to provide for you the next day all over again. Right? So he says that Moses makes the, the announcement in verse 19. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. <laughs> All right. So why do you think that they didn't listen? Lack of trust. Somebody else say something? Same thing, all right. Yeah, it was that. They didn't actually think that. The only reason why they would do that is because they didn't think it, they would actually have food the next day, right? It's a control thing. I don't trust that God's going to actually provide, so I'm going to do it. Even though God has said it, 
I still want this semblance. Even though he's made bread miraculously appear from the ground. And, and prior to that, quail fall into the camp dead for them to eat. I mean, come on. But there's something about being able to control things. So then he says, on the sixth day, he says, tomorrow, this is verse 23, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six day you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but found none. <laughs> I would like to think I wouldn't be one of those people. Look at the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Relax a little bit. Rest, rest, rest. And we have the same message today, rest. And yet, it's so hard to believe that he's actually going to provide, even if he provided today, even if miracle, a miraculous provision happened today, why is it so hard to believe that tomorrow he's going to provide as well? God is trying to teach and establish something here. Trust me. You can trust me. Rest. You can trust me. And Israel was having a hard time with it. I think the church today has a very difficult time with it as well. We end up saying, but I have to. I mean, well, how do I, I got to work. I got to, I got to figure this out, you know. Well, we don't want to be lazy. I mean, we come up with all, that's all beside the point. Rest. Rest. I can work and rest at the same time, believe it or not. So we want to see where the Sabbath was in the law. What did God say about the Sabbath in the law? We have the first one there. Anybody want to look up a verse, one of those verses, and see what the Sabbath was for? Did, you, did somebody say it? The Sabbath was for man. It was for people to be able to rest. Anybody want to look up the second one? Who else was the Sabbath for? Was that the second one? <laughs> the land. God actually cared about his creation as well. This wasn't just for man. This was for the land. And who else was Sabbath for? It's for the animals the servants, and the foreigners. It was for everybody. It's because God desires to be our rest. It's not like, man, you guys need a break. I'm going to give you rest. No, rest was for everything, all that he created. In fact, one of the main reasons that Israel got in trouble over and over and over and over again is because they wouldn't give the land rest. 
In fact, when they went into exile, the 70 years that they were in exile, it says that the land redeemed its Sabbaths. That Israel had stolen from the land. God is a God of rest. He values it because it's who he is and because all of this is a picture, it's actually pointing to something even greater about what is this rest, right? So this is, again, we're looking at rest right now in the shadow. It's being seen as a particular day. It's being seen as a particular stopping from physical work, but it's a shadow of something even greater. And the fact that it is not just for us, but for everything around us also speaks to something greater. We see the promised land is a shadow of God's rest. Joshua got all the promises, but not everyone did. There were those who didn't get into the promised land. You guys remember that? We said that a little earlier. Wandering around in the, in the desert for 40 years. Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land, right? So he's, com he's, he's comparing these two things, the promised land and rest. These are now becoming equal things. He's, he's saying they're the same thing, right? God will give you rest. He'll give you this land. It's a resting place. No more battle, no more, you know, you got to take it all. Promised land is equal to rest as well. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah in the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I was angry that, with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I swore on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And he's talking about the promised land for them there. They're not going to enter. Again, notice the correlation between the two, the promised land and rest. And then we come to uh, the bottom there in, in that passage with Hebrews. It says, so we see that it was because of their unbelief that they were, ab un uh, that they were unable to enter. They didn't believe that the land was really theirs. They, they saw the giants. The giants were too big. You know how many times I've heard, you don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the trauma in my life. You don't know the stuff. You don't know how badly I was abused. And this and that, there's no way that I could come into rest. Lies. That is something lying to you. But you will miss, you will miss the rest of God. If you don't believe that he actually paid for it for you. If you think the giant is too big, you will miss it. I do not want to miss the rest of God. We see it in the shadow. A whole generation of people that died in the wilderness. Never got their promises. Never got them. Because of their unbelief. And I'm sure their unbelief was very convincing to them. We're just, we're just slaves saved by grace. What? No. You are the people of God. He's your God. You're his people. That is a glorious place to be in. What do you mean? You're not a slave anymore. We're just a slave. I can't. We don't know how to fight. We can't. We're not equipped. Nobody ever taught us how to fight. 
These are the unbeliefs, guys, that kept them out of their promises. Do they sound familiar? I can't do it. It's too big. You don't understand. No, you don't understand. God is bigger. What he did is bigger. And I know it sounds amazing because it is. I know it sounds like good news. It is. It is actually real. And I've seen lifelong trauma and torment lift off a person in a moment, never to come back again. Tell me my God isn't able. I want to I want to have you understand something. If you could picture my arm here is like the cross and we're living our life and all this stuff up until the moment of the cross all be informed by the world, the depravity of the flesh, all of that. And then we have an encounter with Jesus. And we die with him on that cross. Right? We die with him, our life, we die with him. And then we come and we go beyond the cross into his resurrected life. And we're over here. And for some reason, over here past the cross, I still feel trauma. I still feel fear. I still feel all of these things. And it's because when I was, when I was seven years old, I was raped by my neighbor, you know, and, and it's, it's a horrible thing. No, you are not experiencing trauma and fear because of what happened when you were seven. That moment died on the cross. Remember that? You are experiencing trauma and fear right now because there's a spirit of trauma and fear on you saying, remember what happened when you were seven? That's why you feel it. Not because that moment forms you anymore. That moment's dead. It has nothing to do with that moment. It has to do with a lying thing that is looking there to steal and rob from you. And because we don't understand what the cross actually did, we still think that maybe we're partly formed by that. No, you've died with Christ. Your life is hidden in his now. You are not formed by this world anymore. You are formed by heaven. So if it's not like heaven, it's not part of your formation. It doesn't mean you forget what happened, but the stuff that went along with it, that's not there. That's just not there. And if it is there, it's not because of that moment. It's because something is lying to you. It's such an important distinction to make because I counseled people for years on moments and traumas and issues and all of this stuff, and you cannot cancel, uh, uh, counsel out a demon. You can't do it. The same lies will keep surfacing. They'll just keep popping up, no matter how much the person also wants the truth. You have to get rid of it. You have to see it for what it is. You have to know who you are that you are new. And tell that thing to go. So they didn't come into their rest because of their unbelief. Well, we also have a rest in the fullness. I want to also say something to you. Every time that Israel was not in abundance, was because they were in un unbelief or disobedience. It was not because God put them there. 
God, our rest in the fullness. We have to learn this so we do not miss it. This is such a clear warning in Scripture. It's such a strong warning in Scripture because we can miss it. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. And this is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness getting ready to go into the promised land and not going in, okay? For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience or unbelief. Now what I want you to see here is we talked about that seventh day. That seventh day that has no end. If you can just picture that hovering above the timeline of humanity, this seventh day rest where everything has been completed. And God is beckoning, come into my rest. Come up higher, come into my rest. It's already been done, it's already been accomplished. Come into my rest. There's no end to this seventh day. The writer of Hebrews is pulling these things together, these three things. He's pulling the seventh day, the picture of the promised land, and rest, the Sabbath, all as the same thing. And saying, come into it. All of these are what you are to be living in right now. And so the questions that we have as the church, so is there a particular day that we're supposed to Sabbath? Does it matter if it's Saturday or Sunday? <laughs> Don't ask me that question. It is not about a day of the week that we stop doing stuff. That was in the shadow, and that was to point to something. 
It was to point to that seventh day reality. It was to point to the promised land now that we are to live in this kingdom that is not defined by the ways of this world where we are just living from rest. That's what it's about. The Sabbath is the seventh day, is the promised land, is the kingdom of God in us right now. Everything that God is doing has been to bring us back into that seventh day. It's what we keep talking about. It's what we've been redeemed to. Well, this is the same thing. He has completed it all. It's like that responsibility thing that was on me. That was a freaking liar. It doesn't mean that things aren't being produced from my life. In fact, since that thing's gone, I've been way more fruitful. It means getting rid of all of these things that are trying to push you and push you and push you and push you and let the Lord fill you and just be and out of your life will flow the rivers of living water. It will come. And you will be fruitful in everything that you do, in everywhere that you go. That's what it's about. It's not what day and should you take a Sabbath. It's why we have to know the time we're in. The Sabbath was a gift. And it had become a law. So much so that the Pharisees, criticizing Jesus for bringing somebody into the seventh day by healing them. Jesus was literally bringing somebody into the Sabbath, the true rest. On the Sabbath, the fake day, the shadow day. And they, all they could see was the law. And Jesus said, didn't you know that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a gift for man. It wasn't made to rule over man like, oh, I have to trust God today. You know, I guess I have to stop what I'm doing and trust him. Guys, we got it backwards. We do the same thing with salvation. Salvation is a gift, and it's become a law to us. It's become a noose around our neck, a burden on our shoulders that we have to do. Because we've missed it. We've missed how great a salvation we've been given. It's a gift. It's a freedom. It's life. And it's real. And yet the enemy has taken the gift of God and distorted it because we don't know who we are. We don't know what we've been given. And we don't know who God is. He's twisted it. Jesus is our rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I'm meek and humble at heart, and you will find for your souls. That is truth. That is truth right there. So we're going to have Alicia come up and share some testimony of this in her own life and speak to some of this for the church now. Hi. There's one testimony I have to give before I dive into this stuff. April 3rd, 2012, I had a dream that I was at Tammy Gerhardt's church, sitting at round tables, teaching a class on deliverance. And as I found out, I did, I'd never been to your church. It was this building. You guys did not occupy this building in 2012. You purchased it, what was it, March? Is that what we discovered? I was here the next month in April with Tammy to sit in on a deliverance session she was doing with someone. I walk in the doors, and I go, I've been here before, but not really. <laughs> I've jumped up this place before. I recognize the carpet. That is not this carpet anymore. It was the old carpet with whatever the design was. I knew where the children's rooms were. Based off of my dream, the sanctuary looked the same. And I go, Tammy, do you guys have plastic round tables? And she goes, yeah, we do. And I go, oh, that's not normal, I don't think. <laughs> I didn't tell her the fullness of the dream until a few months ago, I was with her at a women's conference. Super random. The Lord told me to reach out to Tammy one morning while I was driving to work. So I go, hey, it's been a long time since, you know, we've had anyone on one time. Um, let's make, let's put a day in the calendar where, like, I can come down and visit you. The next day, the worship leader for a conference she was supposed to be teaching, or retreat she was supposed to be teaching at, backed out. She was like, hey, we were just talking. Would you want to do this? And I go, yeah, but I'm not going to be there for just worship. <laughs> because I was already living this reality, and it was so Pre, uh, prevalent, is that the word? In my life, I was like, yeah, I'll come. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but we'll find out, I guess. And lo and behold, um, we minister freedom to a number of women the entire weekend. And Tammy goes, we need to get Lydia down here. And I was like, yeah, uh, now that you say that, um, I think I might have dreamt that. Fast forward to four weeks ago, I pick my kids up from school. I go, I'm not supposed to go home yet. I'm supposed to go over Lydia's house. I show up at Lydia's house. She has an open door policy. People are in and out all the time. My kids are playing outside in the snow. I'm standing there watching because she's sitting in her living room talking to um, a lady, and I didn't want to intrude on their conversation. And halfway through, she goes, Alicia, you can come in here. This isn't that private. I go, and I sit in they're talking about ways to change things up for the conference. And I go, oh. And Lydia goes, Alicia, what do you think if we did round tables at the conference? And I go, you mean the one <laughs> that's happening at Tammy's church? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I, I dreamt that. <laughs> Literally has come full circle. So if you are having any kinds of doubts, <laughs> 
about this right now, please know the Lord gave me a dream nearly 11 years ago of this very exact day. I don't know what he has planned, but I know it's got to be something big. On that note, we just read this passage from Hebrews about the Israelites and why they had to wander in the wilderness. It was never God's design for them to wander in the wilderness. It wasn't his plan. It was not his hope. He wanted them to enter the promised land because he wanted them to have rest. And because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience, they did not, in fact, enter the promised land when they were supposed to. When I first listened to the audio of this that Lydia had put out before I went to my own conference for the first time, I'm listening to this part and she goes, I don't think we're supposed to have wilderness seasons. And I went, come again? Rewound it, listen to it again. It is not the Lord's desire to lead you into a wilderness season. It's his desire to lead you into rest. That is supposed to be our reality. That is supposed to be the seventh-day Sabbath that we are supposed to be living. Do you know how many sermons I've heard about the wilderness? How many times I was like, oh, the Lord has me in this wilderness right now, and it, it's really awful. Do you know how many years of my life I wasted in a wilderness season because I thought that's where God wanted me? Because it made sense? Only to then realize, oh, that wasn't what it was supposed to be the entire time. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what God wants for you. It's not what he wants for me. In every season, we should look the same. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He is like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat planted by, no, it does not fear when the heat comes and its leaves are always green. It does not worry in a year of drought, nor does it cease to produce fruit. In every season, we should look the same. And as someone who has grown up in the church, I was saved when I was four or something like that. The number of walls that I've hit growing up, I was not the same in every season. I had my kids. My daughter is right over there. She snuck back in here. <laughs> I had my kids and suffered from what was diagnosed as postpartum depression and anxiety. After I had my son, I had multiple panic attacks multiple times a day for months afterwards. It was not a fun time. I was irritable with my kids. I was not the kind of mom that I ever dreamt of being. In fact, when I was pregnant with that one, up until that point, the only thing that I had ever wanted in my life was to get married, 
have children, be a stay-at-home mom and homeschool my kids the whole way through. And then when I actually got to half of that, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I was literally incapable of doing anything like what I wanted to be doing. And I thought it was me. Ironically as well, when I went to go put in the dates for today, two years ago to this day, I had my very first freedom session with Lydia, where I kicked out anxiety, depression, this alternate identity called Jill, and trauma. And when I tell you I've not had a panic attack since, I have not had a panic attack since. When I tell you the freedom that I have continued to experience, I am the kind of parent I always dreamt of being. Because the other part is that it doesn't just end with me. Freedom isn't just for adults. There's no age limit on freedom. My entire family walks through it. I've walked my children through freedom in the middle of our church services because I know it's not God, so it's not me. And it's not God, so it's not my children. Is it possible to be the same in every season? It is. We're not special. We are not special. The same Jesus who lives in me is the same Jesus who lives in you, who is the same Jesus that walked this earth. It is the same. He is the same. The only difference with us is we've had more time to practice it. So yes, it is possible. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Jesus wants fruit in every season. It is possible to be the same because when you find the things that are robbing your fruit, you make it go. You do not give it the time. You do not become lazy and let it wreak havoc on your life because if you know that it's not God, then you know it's not you and you know it's something else. And why are you giving your life to something that is trying to destroy you? Its entire purpose is to rob you of the life that God quite literally died to give you. Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins so we can go to heaven. Jesus came to bring heaven to earth so we can live our freedom now in this day and not have to wait till we get to heaven because that would be a kind of bland gospel if that were the case. But it is entirely possible to be the same now. And you say, well, what about bad days? I say, who makes you have a bad day? I don't think Jesus makes you have a bad day. If you're having a bad day, I would say, what's robbing you of the patience? What's robbing you of your joy? What's robbing you of the peace, of the love? 
What is the thing that is robbing you and stealing from you that's causing you to not be the same today as you were yesterday? The result of true fasting is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry out and he will say, here I am. The Lord has already given you promises, and he's not a God that withholds things. If you're not experiencing the full healing, the freedom, it's not because God hasn't given it, because he already did. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Meaning there's not much gloom to be seen. <laughs> and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take the delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Your design is to be in rest. And the things that rob and steal and kill and destroy try to rob and steal and kill and destroy your rest. If they can take you out of that place of rest and separate you from God, no wonder you feel like you're going through a wilderness season. But the fact is God has not moved. And if it's not God, it's not you. One other thing that I want to say in this is your rest spreads to others, too. When we met up to go over all this stuff, one of the things that I had said to Lydia was, the more freedom I've come into, the more rest that I have found, I do not grow tired and I do not grow weary. And the Lord has me up at all hours of all the time. <laughs> and it does not affect me. It used to affect me having the two kids kind of back to back. The sleep deprivation was really terrible and I was tired all of the time. And at this point, I've tried to kick out almost all of the things that I can find that would affect my rest. 
in like a physical sense. And when I first committed to pursuing this freedom, about a week into it, I had a dream where the enemy came to me and said, if you keep pursuing freedom, we're going to come after your children. I said, you're going to come after them anyways. I'd rather they be free, and I'd rather be free. And the Lord proceeded to wake me up. It's the opposite of Lydia's story, but it was Jesus, so it's okay. Woke me up at three in the morning for two weeks straight, and I would get up, and I would go, and I would be like, okay, Lord, I'm waking up with this song in my head. I'm not falling back asleep. I would sit, and I'd play whatever song I would hear, and I would go hunting and battle. Battle whatever he showed me. Battle whatever came. And as a result of that, my rest has no expiration date. Because my capacity for rest isn't reliant on a physical body. It's reliant on a spiritual source, and that spiritual source is never-ending because that spiritual source is Jesus. And so when we talk about the reality of a seventh-day Sabbath and living in that, it's because it's for today. And because today is always today, it does not end because it's always going to be today. Jesus came so you would have abundant life. Jesus came so you would never thirst. Jesus came so you would never hunger. And as someone who grew up in the church, hearing all of this stuff and going, okay, well, do I pray more? Do I worship more? Do I go to this conference? Do I go get prayer from this person? Not understanding how it actually was possible and growing weary and wanting to give up because the end product was never achieved. I never actually felt like I had abundant life or like I would never thirst because I always felt thirsty. I never felt like I would never hunger because I always felt hungry. I'm here to tell you that it is possible. And it's not possible for special people. It's possible for the children of God, which you are, because it is your inheritance. This is God's design for you. You don't need a special person to do this. You are the one with the authority over your life. You are the one with the authority over the agreements that you have made. You do not need a special person to do it. You are capable of doing these things because Jesus Christ is in you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The same Jesus that lives in me is the same Jesus that lives in you. That's all I got, but I just love Jesus, man. <laughs> I can't tell you how many, how many worship songs I've sung and even led that are like, I am dry and thirsty, God. I don't sing those songs anymore. Or songs that say, I'm broken, I'm broken. No, I'm not. That's a lie. 
I'm new. Guys, it's like all around us in the cultural Christianity. It's, it's so pervasive, this idea that, that the redemption wasn't full. That there's something still wrong with us. It's everywhere. And I know it's the enemy because he's trying to take the attention off himself. Don't be fooled. I don't, I don't listen to most worship songs anymore, or I can't say most, a lot of worship songs anymore because I'm like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm not, I'm not broken anymore. I'm not thirsty. I'm not hungry. I'm overflowing. I'm full. I'm whole. I'm satisfied. I'm in love with Jesus. Where's that song? That's the song I want to sing right now. Nothing else, and it doesn't matter. I was singing the same song the day my brother died because it didn't change. The circumstances around me didn't change whether I was broken or not or whole or not. I was still whole in that moment. I was sad, but I was whole. I was sad, but I had peace. It's incredible. These things that Jesus says, they're real. And they're ultimately what he wants. And understand that if you're missing it, something's stealing from you. You're believing a lie. Or you're just blatantly disobeying. That's what it is. You're blatantly disobeying, right? Disobedience, unbelief. Or something is there stealing that you just didn't ever notice before because you didn't know what it was, you know? You didn't know that it could have been something. Well, pay attention now because we were made to be overflowing. We were made to be ambassadors for Christ here. To actually look like our Father, to sound like Him, to bring who He is and, and to bring it in truth, in, in, in its fullness and not only on some days, on every day. I, the, the change within Alicia is incredible. The changes in me is incredible. The changes in each one here that have gone through this, and, and I'm sure many of you have experienced it as well, but I'm just speaking to the people that I've seen. It's incredible. It's like nothing that I've known before. And it's brought me into this reality that seemed just too, just a little out of my reach. I just couldn't get there. I believed for it. I just didn't understand it. Well, this weekend, you can come into it. We're going to teach you how to come into it, how to address the things, break off agreement, and tell it to go. But again, it's just the start. Like Alicia said, she just became vigilant and went after everything. If the Lord woke her up in the middle of the night, well, then she was going, what did you call it? Hunting? Going hunting. What's in there? I'm going to find you. You know, like, this is going to get out everything. I'm not waiting for the battle to come to me. I'm going after it. I'm getting you out and you out. There's a lot of things you don't even have to rise up, and I know you're in there because you've been there, you know? Like, I don't have to wait for those moments. In fact, it's easier to do battle when that thing isn't rising up because you can just go after it, right? That's what we want. We want to actually equip you. To not just think just in the moment, but 
You're entering into the promised land. You're making every effort to come into his rest and understand the reason why it's so important that we understand that God is our rest is because we're going to encounter some battles. You guys are going to encounter some battles and the enemy's going to start to whisper in your ear of like, oh, another battle. Oh, it's just, it's always like, oh, it just takes so much energy and so much time and da-da-da-da, like just those type of things. And it's just a distortion. The fact is, is at the end of every battle, the rest is tangible. The difference is tangible. And the thing is gone. And there's a quantifiable number, just like there was for Israel in the, in, in the promised land. It was not an infinite number of people inhabiting there. It was a specific number. And they just systematically took more and more and more and more and more. And that's what you need to do. That's what you're going to do is you're going to just start and go and know that every time you go down one, you're going to get that piece of land to be yours. You're going to experience that rest in that space. But don't stop there. Go after the next one and get that too. Go after the next one and get that too. And you will get to the end of it. Remember, accurate knowledge of God coming into the promises, the fullness. Joshua got all of the promises. And then you're walking in the divine nature of God. It is these things that are keeping us from actually walking in the fullness of it. That is the order. That is the progression. Go after it. You can do this as fast as you want to. Go after it and remember that the end in all of it is rest. Don't let it be from a place of striving and angst and frustration because that's all not God. That's just something there. Come back to the place that it's all about bringing you into rest. That is it. His work has been finished. It is finished. These things need to go. They're not allowed. And rest is real. The final, the final thing here is that waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord produces rest. When the church began, Jesus didn't say, hey, go and do what I taught you how to do. Go out and start ministering and healing the sick and casting out demons. And that's not what he said. He said, go into the city and wait. Go wait for the Holy Spirit, the one who will be the power on high that, that fills you, you know. Go do that. It's not going to be in your own strength that anything's going to happen. Go and wait. And waiting makes you strong. We know the passage in Isaiah, right? Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, that word for wait, I looked it up, all right? And what that word wait meant in the time that it actually was written and used it actually is a, a term that's used for binding rope together. And so the, the reason why it's translated as the word wait is because there's a length of time that it takes for the binding. 
and those who were really proficient at rope binding could get it really solid really quick. And then some people it would take a little bit more time. But that's literally what that word means. And so if we can take it to the literal sense and, and those who wait on the Lord, it's actually those who bind themselves like a rope to the Lord will renew their strength. That's what we're doing. We're coming into his rest. We're joining in with him in everything that he's done, in everything that he said. And then we know God in the restoration of all things. We see that God is our rest. The final, final promised land, the final Sabbath all around us, not just within us, everywhere. Everything under the rest of God. Everything under the order of God. That I think we've all believed the whole time anyways. It's our final place of rest. A couple things to know. For all of time, God has desired to bring man into rest. That has been God's thing the whole time. You're going to read your scripture different now. You're going to go back and read it, and you're going to see, oh, Israel was in this mess because they disobeyed. God wanted them to be abundant. They disobeyed. God wanted them to help other people and love other people. They disobeyed. And every time they disobeyed, their life went to crap. And God kept saying, I want to bring you on the heights. I want to, I want to have you feast on the land. I, I, have, you know, I want you to be fruitful and all. Of, no, no. That was God's desire. Israel missed it. For all of time, God has desired to bring man into rest, to be the one to satisfy every need, to call us out of chaos and into peace. And we have to know this in order to know the voice of God. God is constantly calling us into peace. All right? So when you're seeing something going on there, harassing, stealing, rising up, you know that there's peace for you. That is the voice of God. That there's something greater. You don't have to put up with this. You don't have to put up with this. You don't have to put up with this. He's always desired to bring you into rest. That's his voice. Every unclean voice is a liar, a phony, and a fraud. Their deception is that they will satisfy, that they will protect, that they will defend, that they will uphold, that they will bring rest. They try to be like God to you, right? So you think about some of the most, you know, some of the most heinous things that we see. Like, like revenge. Revenge wants to tell you that that will bring peace. It'll settle the score. Right? It's a lie. Ultimately, we want peace. We want conflict to end because that's our design. That's a good desire. But it's a liar that's telling us how to get there. Anger. Anger will tell you. Or fear. Anger and fear. They, they'll both tell you that they'll protect you. Don't leave your house. I'll protect you. There's too many bad things out there. Don't, don't get too close. Don't, you can't walk up there. You can't do this. Don't that. that uh, right? Or anger. I'm going to protect you. Nobody's going to mess with you when I'm around. I had, we had a, a young man that came to our house to live with us. And uh, he came right from the streets. And um, 
big, big black guy. He's, he's my son now. It's, he's like this big. He's huge. But anyways, he, um, he came and he had a spirit and this thing was called Cain and it, was a, a, it had all this manifestation of anger. And it had come when he was a little boy. He knew the name of it. He would converse with it. But it came when he was a little boy uh, when he was being abused by his stepmom. And this thing came to protect him. And it protected him because he was able to defend himself, get away, fight her off, all of these things. But then as he grew, that thing took over. He would black out and do things that he didn't even remember doing. He would hear it threaten him and say, if you don't walk into that, into that Wendy's over there, pick up the guy in the third booth and smash his face in, I'm going to hurt your family. And so he'd do it. And as abusive as that thing was, we still had to convince him it was bad. Because it had come at such a time in his life and presented as good and as a protector that to let it go was really a big thing for him. But he did kick it out. He's free now. It's all gone. And it didn't take long. It took 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, it didn't take long. But these things mask as good things. They mask as the things that God, we do have a desire to be protected because God's our protector. He's our strong tower. He's, you know, we do, we do have these desires, but know that every time there's something there, it's there because it's told you it will do something that God actually does. These things promise something and never deliver. They never actually satisfy. How many people know that? How many of us have fallen for the lie only to find out it's not, it didn't satisfy? It didn't do it. It didn't do it. Well, God actually does it. They know that we were made for rest. They know that we were made for that original design. They know that we were made for good. And so that's what they appeal to. And so don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. It's like bleach and water. They may look very similar, but they're very different things. One is life and one is death. So does anybody have any questions? <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're there. Sure. That's actually a, uh, a terminology that was used in the Old Testament to reference a person. Um, and if you know Paul's story, <laughs> everywhere that Paul went to preach the message that the inclusion of the Gentiles into faith and um, all of that, he was followed by Pharisees, religious Pharisees, that would try and undo his message. And they would come and say, no, you need to be circumcised. No, you need to follow the law. 
And you see the letter to the Galatians, like his addressing it, him going up, you know, to the Jerusalem council. We got to get this matter resolved and having to carry a letter with him so that people would understand, no, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. I actually believe that the thorn in the flesh that Paul's referring to was that, a messenger from Satan trying to undo everything that God was having him speak. It makes much more sense than any other thing that I've heard anybody say. You, uh, is it, uh, I might be getting ahead. You may be. Oh. I'm not usually given a microphone. Sometimes it's taken away from me. <laughs> Stay close to him. <laughs> um, I I was wondering, uh, is this if if. If I'm alone at night and then this thing comes upon me and some of your teachings come to my mind or and God is is uh, is working this out, is this something that can happen by myself in in uh, in my shop or in my bedroom or in my car? A hundred percent. That is where it should be happening. Okay. That's the whole point. Is that this is your authority as a child of God to stand up, rise up in it, and anywhere you are, anytime, to go after these things. And, and that's the majority of all of this should be happening that way. And, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Go ahead. If you feel like something is not leaving, then you, you, you grab somebody else who understands it and you say, will you help me? And they'll walk you through it and you go after it together. So can we experience fullness in the face of suffering? Where does, where does a suffering fit in to rest, fullness, yep. walking in power? You know, we yeah. certainly have a lot of biblical characters that lived a life that was suffering. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of, quote, bad days. Mm -hmm. But n not bad in the way that you defined them, but certainly bad the way anybody else would define them. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeremiah, Job. Yeah. First Peter is written to suffering Christians. Mm -hmm. James speaks about suffering. Mm -hmm. So suffering is clearly a part of the Christian experience. Yeah. So how, how do you, how do you um, bring that into this? Yeah, we actually had, there, we, there was a teaching that used to be part of this conference that actually focused a lot on that. Uh, but <clears throat> it was just so much information that by the, like if we were to start that right now, the end of Saturday, everybody's like, oh, you know, so we, we decided to make that a part two. Um, but so in answer to your question, yeah, suffering is a real thing because the enemy's fingerprints are all over the world, right? Um, God's design is not suffering. If it was, we would see it in the garden, we would see it in the restoration. It's not there, right? Suffering is the enemy's tool. But God, Jesus did something very profound where he left heaven to come into the enemy's domain, into suffering, right? Philippians 2, we should have the same attitude as Christ. Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, all, humbling himself all the way even to death on a cross, right? All the way to that. And that that's should be our way of living. So the things that we're talking about, we're talking about mental, emotional, 
physical, like we're talking about our person and the freedom in there, right? There is going to be chaos all around us. And in those places is where suffering is. And God says, will you do what Jesus did and join in, jump into an area where you have to give up your time, your money, your resources, your whatever, just like Jesus did. You will not be forfeiting your sonship. You will not be forfeiting your peace, your joy, your life. You don't forfeit any of that. But the external things that come, you are immersing yourself. And you actually cannot advance the kingdom, and we go into this, without first going into the enemy's camp, without first engaging with suffering. And God's so good that he says, if you are actually willing to do that, I'll make suffering be beneficial to you. Where suffering's intent from the enemy's purposes is to destroy people. God says, if you do it, you go there, I will actually make suffering produce patience, produce, produce these things for you, and actually you'll receive a crown of life. You will sit at my right hand. You will all of these rewards for those because we could, as children of God, we could receive our inheritance and not go anywhere and do anything, especially in the nation that we live right now. And, and, and that's not okay. We could do that. But God calls us to say, will you go engage yourself into the enemy's camp, give up something, give up even your life so that others would be free? Yes, I will. Jesus did not lose any of who he was, even up to the cross, right? And yeah, he had whips across his back. He had all of those things, and those were very real. And I'm sure it was hard, immensely hard. But I am very convinced that the Spirit of God did not leave him. You know, he was, he, he was there. It wasn't an internal battle happening at that point in time. It was, a, it was a walking through. He had determined it already that this was going to be. So I, don't, I would not call what the enemy does in me or on me suffering. I would call that harassment, right? What's happening around me and what's ha the, the fingerprints that the enemy has on various people, anytime I engage to bring the kingdom somewhere, there's going to be a measure of suffering. And that's what we have to be absolutely willing to go into. But we're not forfeiting to do that. We're actually choosing to come into Christ and to know him even greater in his suffering. What was that like to be a child of God and in this place as well? Does that help answer it? Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't want to ex. I guess you don't want to preach roses and sunshine all the time, right? I mean, because there, there, there is suffering. But then there's another element then too of discipline. Mm -hmm. So Hebrew speaks pretty clearly that God disciplines those He loves. Yes. So His discipline is an act of love. Yes. Towards His people. Yeah. And discipline, I guess I don't know how do you want, how, how do you, how does that fit into right what you're talking about. Right. Well, so, I mean, it says even Jesus himself, um, well, it says he was disciplined, yeah. yeah, and it says he was made perfect through his suffering mm -hmm. and through his obedience, right? Right. And so yeah. we know Jesus was already perfect, and yet there was something in this that there was another, another understanding of perfection that was being attained through that. 
And, and so we get welcomed into that same thing. There's growth that we still come into, and there's discipline for sure because we still have an earthly flesh, even though it's redeemed. It's, it's earthly, and, and so we're to walk by the Spirit and not have the flesh be determining things, and so there's a d- discipline in learning What's what? What is actually good and God designed for me and what is not? <laughs> you know, so there's, I'm not speaking in any sort of opposition to that at all. Um, and, and it's not about sunshine and roses, but it is about good news. Yeah. Really, really good news. And it's not pat, easy, good news. It, it, there was a high price that was paid for it. And the stuff that people typically suffer with I believe is needless suffering if they're a child of God. There is very real suffering out there where the enemy is moving, um, but a lot of the stuff, the mental anguish, the emotional anguish, all of that is not our inheritance, and it's not for us. And we actually get hindered from even being able to bring the kingdom or go into dark places or even choose to go into suffering, you know, when that's there. I mean, I think it was Peter who said, what, what good is it if you suffer for doing evil and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, that is precious in the sight of God. And, and that's, yeah, there's a whole big thing that we go into on it and break down the various types of suffering and yeah. the scriptures pertaining to it. I'm glad you did bring that up because I'm sure that is in people's minds. What is suffering exactly and what is what is needless suffering and what is intentional yeah, choosing I think suffering. I think it's important to understand the, the difference there mm-hmm. between you know, what we've been talking about last night and today mm. and then suffering. Yeah. How, how much of what I'm dealing with is uh, you know, even self-inflicted at times, right? And how much of it is uh, a remnant of my past and, and how much of it is uh, right, just demonic. It's the enemy at work. And then, and then when is it, well, it's the Lord. It's, I mean, you know, I do face suffering. Even Peter even said it's the will, if it's the will of the Lord. I mean, he, he put that together with suffering. So there's, I'm not, and I'm, so, you know, but, but I, I agree with you. I'm not trying to argue, be argumentative at Jeez, all. Jeez, Pastor. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope you don't hear, I hope you hear my heart. I got nothing happening inside. I will, me neither. It's awesome. <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't. You know, so uh, that's all, I guess. Yeah, no, I hear you. Understand the the differences between those things. Yeah, we keep them clear because sometimes they they do those lines do get muddied between them, and you know we because you hear people, well, I'm just you know this is the Lord's will, right? And and not necessarily, right? Right. And I so that's where I'm just trying to bring that in. I mean, you guys are all to be looking into this for yourself, for sure, because the Lord's going to show you what he's going to show you, and I'm learning as I'm going. Uh, That's just the fact of it. I'm not here saying, hey, I got this all. I'm telling you where the Lord's brought me so far, how I got here, and why I am where I am right now, and what he's shown me, and, and all of that. I will say that where I am right now, that for a believer, that I believe anything that was formed from my past. Now, I'm a sociology major. That was my degree. Um... And the Lord told me that all of sociology and psychology is a study of our slavery. That's all it is. 
And, and so that's, that science as a whole is based on how we were slaves and formed by the world. But after the cross, I believe that we are socialized by heaven. And it's an entirely different thing. And it looks different and it sounds different and it feels different. And I don't think I've seen a very good representation of it in any church anywhere. And the Lord's starting to show us what that means. And, and we're wanting to walk in it and actually say, okay, like we want to be the spotless bride. I, that's, when Jesus returns, I want to be this part of the spotless bride. And, and understand that that spotlessness was paid for by him and that we can actually be in that and not give allowance for anything that says that we have to be less than or because of our past or because of any other circumstance. And so I honestly don't have a lot of lines. I have just a solid line that if it's not in, the, in redemption, if it's not good, it's not, it's not in my design and it's not for me. God can call me to go into something, or I can choose to go into suffering, choose to go into these places. Um, but again, that's not an internal thing. That's an external thing, and this thing is going to go anyway, so who cares? Do with it what you will, <laughs> you know? Pastor distincts it as the internal versus external. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. The internal versus external circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> he said if it's not if you don't if they're out of soy milk at Starbucks that's not suffering. <laughs> yes. Do we want a mic over there? I know. So when my brother died, see I wouldn't call it suffering. Like, I, I think that there's, I think that suffering is a very distinct thing talked about in the scripture. And um, it was sadness. It was loss, but it was, there was also joy and peace in all of it because, uh, especially because I know my brother's with the Lord, right? I mean, so there's that. But what I noticed was in the loss, in the grief, um, now my brother had lived at my house up until, till a week before he died, and then he had moved out. And so I was so keenly aware that I could have had things going, if you had just done something different, if only you had done this, if you had said this, if you had, if this, or you know, all of those things, but they literally weren't there. Accusation wasn't there, regret wasn't there, because they were things I had previously removed already, and so that sadness was untainted. It wasn't, it was, it was for what it was, you know, but it, I don't think I would call it suffering. I picture suffering because also it felt like it's only for a time. I'm going to see him very soon, uh, relatively speaking. And I picture suffering being really the nastiness of the enemy and his, his oppression on people and on the world, on relationships, on marriages, on, every, on, on everything, on, on governments, on systems. Uh, I, I see it as that nastiness that he has to destroy and destruct. And that that's what Jesus willingly came into and lowered himself to the lowest place. Had to do that for the kingdom to have a way to come. 
And then he says, will you do the same? Go into where the enemy's fingerprints are. Lower yourself to the lowest place and allow the kingdom to come. And if that means laying down your very life, then so be it. I mean, we've taken in, like I said, we've taken in countless people. There's a re very real laying down of your life, your privacy, your finances, your time, your energy, your sleep schedule, your food, your everything. You know, there were, there were times that we just really ate like, like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or rice all the time because that's all that we could afford at the time because we were helping people, you know, and you're just, you do what you need to do and we're already way more blessed or in abundance than the rest of the world, so we really have nothing to complain about. We're thinking about people over there. That's where suffering is really happening and will we go there? Will we rescue people out from there? Will we support the ministries that are going on there? I mean, that's what I see suffering to be and I so I can't equate it to that loss um, although it's suffering is a very real thing Mm -hmm. And it'll come at me from all sides, and there's no one way to, to, to except for that hard line. That that hard line gives me a, a place to start. Right. And the confusion goes away. There's still the pain. There's still my bleeding leg that I have to tourniquet, or my brother that I have to bury. But it's but it's that internal job that is is redeemed. Right. That, does that make sense? I think you spoke it wonderfully. I can't recap all that. <laughs> that was good. Um, you mentioned that you recommended like trying to kick things out like one a day. Is, is there any reason why you would say like if you think of a whole list of things, not to do it just right then? Like do it all in one day or one sitting? <laughs> <laughs> well, because they are actual things. And it, it might get a little intense for you. You certainly can. You certainly can. In fact, when I was starting out doing these and people were showing up and I was saying, okay, what's stealing from you? And they're like, <laughs> right? We were there for hours and hours and hours and things were attached to other things and they were feeling surges of emotions and things like things that they, you know, say they were kicking out hatred. Well, all of a sudden they felt like they wanted to throttle my neck and like just stuff rising up. It's just a lot. 
because they're actual things. It's not just, it's not always just a quiet, a quiet, like I'm just going to sit down and kick something out. Um, sometimes the Lord brings a moment up that you have to be willing to nail to the cross because that thing has been saying it's, it's hanging on to that. And sometimes you're going, I don't want, I don't think I should have to let go of that moment. Right? And so, again, you can go after as many as you want. Do it. Do it. Do it. But it, I don't want you to get overwhelmed in it and go, I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. Right? I guess my question is, um, after you go through the seven steps or whatever, are you definitely going to feel like something has happened? Or sometimes is it like, well, I don't know if anything has happened, but like, will you ha have to go through the same process again? Or like, oh, okay, well, I prayed it, so... Right. That's it. Like, yep. I guess that's my question. Um, great question. Um, so for me, sometimes I feel nothing. And then sometimes I have things like where I felt that surge come up my body. A lot of times I'll feel like what feels like a slight pressure moving up my neck and up my head to the top of my head. And it'll feel like a headache coming on. And then I'll just keep being like, leave, leave, leave. And then it'll release. And so you'll start to notice if you feel something or not. It doesn't really matter if you do or if you don't. If you're speaking out, I put this on the cross, I break off agreement, I'm telling you to leave, you've got to leave me, things have to obey you. They have to obey what you're saying. And so, um, but then you have, you have moments as well, like I did when I was trying to go after whatever was causing my allergies and my asthma. I was going after a bunch of different things trying to figure out what it was. The fact is, is we're in a, it's a real thing. There's no like pat answer in the same way that I couldn't be like, oh, you're going to go fight a battle, you know, in a foreign country. Well, this is how it's going to go. <laughs> I can't do that. I can tell you, you know, a framework of reference to understand. I can tell you these are the things that they typically hang on to. They might only be hanging on to one or two. They might not be hanging on to all seven. I go through all seven every time for the most part just because I want to just make sure they've got nothing by the time I tell it to leave. And uh, there, there's going to be times that where you're having to rely on the Spirit of God inside of you to tell you what it is, and it'll push you into you know, to hear his voice more, to operate with him more, to participate with him more, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but I can't give you exactly how it's going to go, or, but you have the Spirit of God in you. He's going to get you there. My guess is your first one's going to be a Jericho, because that's what I typically see, is like this change. <laughs> And then from there, everything's like, oh, no, 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 no. And you just, you stay in rest as best you can, and you just write your list, and you systematically get rid of stuff and check it off. I have a question. Sometimes uh, when, when we've done deliverance, um, unforgiveness comes up. So I, I don't know. I had to scoot out earlier, so I don't know if you covered that or not. But what do you find when you're doing your <coughs> deliverance? Is there unforgiveness that needs to be done before the thing will leave? Yeah, it's one of the seven agreements is okay. that we come out of unforgiveness and into releasing forgiveness on anyone, everything, all of it. 
Because we've been forgiven a lifetime, we forgive freely. Gotcha. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. I no, you're good. Earlier. You're good. In fact, I would encourage you guys all to take home a copy of the seven agreements. Um, and tonight, because tomorrow at the 11 o'clock service is when we're going to walk everybody through this. And so tonight, you just be asking the Lord, and maybe you already know, but if you don't, God, what is stealing from me? What am I going to go after? What's, my, what's this Jericho one going to be? Right? And you ask him, and he might tell you something like hatred or rage or control or jealousy. He might tell you a name like that. He might tell you a name like Jezebel or Lucifer or, or Python or something like that that maybe you've seen in the scripture somewhere. He might tell you a name like, I had one called Jackweed. He might just tell you some sort of crazy name. And if he tells you a crazy name, what I typically say is, what did that do to me? <laughs> right? What Jack, we did, it was, a, it was a distracting spirit. It would have me going from thought to thought to thought. And what's so funny, I'll just share this with you really quick. But so... Lord, what's stealing from me? Jackweed, what's that? It's distraction. Okay, uh, I know the seven agreements inside and out. I have done them for years, right? I mean, I know them. I do them, uh, whatever. And so I'm like, all right, well, I started on the first agreement, and then it was the next day. And then I was like, I, I never finished. How did, how did I get here? And I never finished walking even, I don't even think I finished the first agreement. That thing had my brain go from, Jackweed, you're not me, to thinking about, I don't even know where I went. And I didn't even realize it until the next day. And so then I was like, yeah, ha, it's on, right? So I got a chair and I went out to my back deck and I'm like, we're doing this. I'm not moving from this chair until you're gone, right? And so then I went after it and it was so challenging for me to get through each one because my brain, it wasn't my brain, but what it was doing to my brain was this thought, that thought, and all things that would have been pertinent in, you know, like for me to just bunny trail Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But I'm, I'm in school right now. I'm um, working to get my law degree. And it helps me immensely in being able to read the work and actually retain it. I was like, that's why you wanted me to get that out. <laughs> yeah, before it was like I had to read, 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 and reread and read it over and over again until I get it. And now I can just read it. So thankful for that one, being gone. But all that to say that he might give you a name like Jackweed. Ask him what it was that that thing did. Don't, anything's plausible, just in the same way that there are a billion different names of people all over the globe. There could be a billion different names, you know. I've had to kick out things called Ed and Frank and Mike and Jessica. Get out, Jessica. We don't need you here, you know. I don't know why. I don't really care. All that I care about is that freedom is the, is the end result. It's all got to go. It's all got to go. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm not interested in searching out demonology or why things might have names or not have names. I don't care. 
I want to know more about freedom. That's what I want to know more about. So that's what I go after, freedom. How big is that? How big is it? You know, how big, how, how much can we stretch out in this, God? That's what I want. So be asking him tonight, what is it that's stealing from me? What am I going after tomorrow? So when you come tomorrow to the 11 o'clock service, you're ready, ready, all right? And you can look through, um, if you want, does every, has everybody grabbed one already? All right, you guys are all ahead of the game here. Um, if you want to look at it, I can quickly go through it and s make sure there's no questions on any of these on what, what it is we're doing. That way, when we come to it tomorrow, we can just kind of go into it. Oh, it is? Oh, cool. It's also online on the website if you need it. Oh, that was for me. I, I just saw that text right now. Thank you. I just saw that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying Jericho was the first city they got when they went in the promised land. So I'm saying what's going to be your Jericho? It's just kind of analogous. It's not, not named Jericho. <laughs> Um, all right, everybody got the seven agreements that they're looking at? Yes. All right, so the first agreement, we've already talked about it, but it's the identity agreement. It's something saying that it's you. <laughs> it's just your thoughts. It's just how you feel. It's just because it's just you're Irish. It's just because you're Italian. You know, it's just because you're Scottish, red hair, whatever. It's because you're an introvert. You're an extrovert. All of these labels that get put on people, scrap them all. You're like Jesus. Different family of all tribes, tongues, nations, like just like Jesus, okay? So we break off that, you're not me. Everybody want to say it with me? I'm, I'm going to say, uh, anger, you're not me, and, and I want you to repeat after me. This is how it's going to go tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, anger, you're not me. You're not my thoughts. You're not my emotions. And you cannot have my body. I break off all agreement with you. So that's the breaking off. And then the even greater part is the coming into agreement with Jesus, all right? I'm a child of God. I'm not your slave. I'm over you, not under you. I will never bow down to you again. I've been set free. Right? God, I repent for any agreement that I've had with anger. And I receive your forgiveness over my life. So you see that? We broke off agreement. And then we came into agreement with what God says about us. But we also had to take a moment to repent. Because we did have... It's not like this thing just manipulated us our whole life. It, we agreed with it. We believed it. And that's on us, right? 
But when your eyes are open, now you say, no, I'm not agreeing with you anymore. Okay? So agreement number two are generational rights, things that have come from your family line. This is how that Lucifer one had come on me through my grandfather. Um, and so there's stuff that travels down family lines, but we've been born into a new family. So these things want to say, I can be here because I'm, I've been with your family for a very long time. Nope. No. All right. Ready? We're going to do this. And again, I'll use anger. You guys can say whatever you want, but we'll do anger. All right. In the name of Jesus, I break off every generational right of anger. I break it off my father's side and my mother's side. Any step parents, adopted parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve. I break it off my life. I break it off my marriage. I break it off my relationship. I break it off my children. And I break it off all my offspring until Jesus returns. Anger, you cannot have my family anymore. I tear down your altar in my family line. I'm not bowing down to you anymore. I'm part of a new family. I'm part of the family of God. And I've been given a good inheritance and good promises. So in, in Jesus' name, I call forth every generational promise, every generational blessing from Jesus' family line. I call it forth onto my life. I call it forth onto my marriage. I call it forth onto my relationships. I call it forth onto my children. And I call it forth onto all my offspring until Jesus returns. Me and my family will stand in Jesus' covenant of love. And that reaches to a thousand generations. Get your grimy hands off my family. Are you guys getting the hang of it? You see how we're going to do this tomorrow? We're going to go through like that. The next, and, and if you can picture generational ones, like the kings of Israel. There were some righteous kings that, that did good, but they didn't tear down the high places. And what ended up happening is even though they ruled justly in their lifetime, because they didn't tear down, when their kids took over, they went right back to serving the idols and the other gods. And so that's what we're doing when we're doing these generational things. We are tearing down the high places in our family line that our family has bowed down to. And we're saying, not anymore, not in my lifetime, but also not for anybody that comes after me. All right? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That was where I had for me, yeah, because my grandfather, it had come through my, that fam, part of my family line. <clears throat> but the fact is, is 
I'm part of a new family line. That thing shouldn't have been there in the first place. We're just making declaration about this. You have no, I now know who I am. I actually now know, <laughs> and I'm not putting up with you anymore. You've got to go. Um, maybe. And so I would, like I said, I'm always like saying, and what about this God? And putting my toe over the line to see if that's covered too. Go for it. Uh, I mean, go for all the freedom you can go for anything that the spirit of God brings to your mind. Ask him, okay, what do I do with that? Sure. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you and he will give you what you need to do with that information. Correct. Correct. All right. So next area of agreement are the things that happen in our lifetime. <coughs> the strongholds that got built up. And what a stronghold is, is it's just a strong wall that gets put up in battle to protect something. And so if you can picture these things have just built walls and then they're kind of like hiding behind it. And then when truth gets spoken, it just hits that wall and it doesn't seem to penetrate or make a difference. And we're like, why? Isn't it penetrating? Well, there's a stronghold there. We're going to tear down that stronghold, and we're going to get the little thing hiding behind it, and we're going to tell it to get out. We're going to make it obedient to Christ, all right? And so this is where we ask, Holy Spirit, can you show me the moments where anger or whatever it is, where anger came into my life? And then we'll wait, and we'll give it a little bit of time, and you'll just sit there and let Holy Spirit show you. And as he shows you those moments, <coughs> you're going to take them and say, Jesus, I give you that time. You know, he shows me what happened when I was, you know, four years old and my parents were fighting around me and whatever. Jesus, I give you the time when I was four years old and my parents were fighting and slamming doors. And, and I nail that to the cross. It's not going to define me anymore. And then he gives you another moment. Jesus, I give you that moment. It's not going to define me anymore. I've died with you, and my life is in your life now. These things won't define me. And you're just taking the moments that he gives you, and you're nailing them to the cross. <clears throat> and so once, once we feel like it's time to move on from there, we ask, Holy Spirit, what's the lie that anger has told me? What are the lies that anger has had me believe? And again, you're going to sit quiet. This is... This is why it's mostly just you and the Lord, right? I'm showing you how to do it, but it's you and the Lord. What are the lies that this thing has had me believe? And tomorrow we'll have people speak them out loud because you need to see that the enemy says the same things to everybody. You'll hear people saying, oh, that I'm, that I'm worthless, that I'm ugly, that nobody loves me, that I, I can't speak good, that I, whatever. It's just all the same. Yes. Yes. Is this on still? So I was um, determined that I was going to do one of these uh, every morning. And so uh, I sat down with the Lord and got quiet. And I said, Lord, what, what should I kick out? And uh, I heard the word Clegg. And I'm like, I, I have no idea what that means or if it's even like I'm making it up. So I go, all right, well, I'll Google it. All right, Clegg. All right, it's Norse for horsefly. I was like, that's weird. 
right, but whatever, that's what I heard, that's what I'm going to go with. I break off Clegg, and it's not, Clegg, you're not me, I'm not a horsefly. And <laughs> I go through all the agreements, and I said, what, what was the lie that it was telling me? And I didn't really hear anything, so I said, well, I, I just kick off uh, whatever, whatever thing this, whatever, I don't know how to say it, whatever the, the, however it manifested in my life, however, whatever it caused, and what had, what came up just then was that um, an experience in my life uh, when I was a kid, I was bullied, and there was times when I tried to be friends with somebody, and they were like, get away from me. Get away from me. You're bothering me. And it says, you think that people are bothered by you, kind of like a horsefly. I was like, oh, all right, I'm going with this. You're out of here, you know. But, you know, so it's, it, whatever that lie is, you bother people just by, like, you stand in the corner because you're, you're in somebody's way. You're doing this, you're doing that. You're just bothering other people. But that's a lie. Yeah. And now it's gone. Now it's gone. So we ask, what's the lie? And we speak those lies out to expose them, not to glorify them, to expose them. And I want you to understand, too, in this, this is not a, um, a counseling session, all right? Sometimes people just start weeping and weeping at these lies, and I'm like, it's a lie. Stop crying. It's a lie. It's not true. <laughs> I stop letting it do whatever that thing's trying to do to you. Come on, we're in battle. Punch that thing back. You know, don't let it just, what are you doing? It's a lie, right? It's not a counseling. We're not massaging feelings. We are dealing with stuff that's been stealing and lying. So these lies come. And then we say, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, can you tell me what the truth is? And man, God always says the nicest things. He just like, and so we have people speak out the truth and that exalts the truth over every lie, right? And so we'll do that. And so when we get to that point, you guys speak out the truth. Speak it out. Even if you go, I think it just be, might be my thoughts. Well, you know what? The truth is in you. The spirit of truth is in you. It feels like your thoughts sometimes, you know? Speak out the truth, right? Uh, so we ask what the lie is to expose that. We ask what the truth is to replace it. And then we, we declare out, all right, you're going to repeat after me this declaration, all right? Spirit of anger. I tear down your stronghold. And I'm not believing your lies anymore. Holy Spirit has told me the truth. And I believe him, not you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Come and fill that place in me where these lies have been. And you be my stronghold. So good. It's so simple. We have, as the children of God, so much power in our words. We just don't know what we're supposed to be saying or how to say it. And not that you have to follow this exactly. This is a template for you to understand, right? That's what it's for. It's not to be a process or to, like, it's to help you understand. These are the things the enemy hangs on to. Come out of agreement with them. Come into agreement with Jesus, 
and then he's got to go. Like, that's what this is all about, all right? So don't make it a law. Don't make it something that it's not, all right? So then after strongholds, we have forgiveness and unforgiveness. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, can you show me who I need to forgive? And this is always an interesting part, too, because... Yeah, there's people you know you need to forgive, and so you forgive them. But then sometimes you have people come to mind that you go, well, I feel like I've already forgiven them. Or I don't even know why I would need to forgive them. Or I don't even think I know anybody by that name, right? If Holy Spirit is bringing someone to your mind, go with it. You cannot over-forgive. <laughs> You just can't. We've also had people say, I feel like I need to forgive movies or books or forgive the government or forgive the education system or I have to forgive my work and it's not individual people, it's things, right? If that's what's coming to your mind, don't be like, oh, should I forgive? That's weird. It's not a person. No, forgive. Just forgive. Every You asked Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive? Just forgive. I have a feeling that forgiveness is probably way bigger than we even understand it to be, you know? So go with the Spirit of God and forgive, 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 all right? The next area of agreement are word curses, and there's, I mean, uh, verbal agreements, and there's three types of verbal agreements. There's word curses, there's false identities that get put on people, and there's internal vows. Uh, so word curses, we, we have the power of life and death in our tongue, even, even medical diagnoses, things like that, stuff that's get, gotten spoken over somebody. Um, we have the power to bless and to curse, and those things can come to fruition. We see it, and, and the world is kind of gotten it some we see these viral videos or these youtube videos of parents now telling their kids you're beautiful you're strong you're lovely you're intelligent you're all you know because they're starting to understand there's something to this <laughs> and in the same way when people are being told like you're ugly nobody likes you nobody wants you around you're a nuisance i wish i never had you those are also word curses. Those are, those are things that are f trying to form identity over you. So we break those word curses off of you, and we say that only Jesus' words get to define you. And what does he say about you? We also take, we ask God to show us any false identity that these things might have put on you. Um, and we nail those false identities to the cross. One of my favorite Testimonies is of a man who, I mean, he was probably in his 60s and he was a tough guy. I mean, his works out. I mean, really, he had been a fighter his whole life and uh, just a tough guy. And we get to this part and they say, we nail this identity of being this tough guy to the cross. And we ask God, he said, can you show me my real identity? Show me who you made me to be. <laughs> And all of a sudden, he just starts, like, crying, crying, crying. And I'm like, what happened? What did you see? <laughs> Tell me. And uh, he said, I saw myself as a little boy playing in a field with butterflies. <laughs> and he said, I'm really soft. I'm really gentle. And this false identity, this liar of anger that kept telling him that would protect him, uh, had formed an identity that he didn't know how to get out of. And so we took that identity and we nailed it to the cross and we received the identity that God actually spoke over him. And it's a beautiful exchange. 
And then the final one are any internal vows that we make. And, and we can make these quite easily, unfortunately. God says don't make an oath about anything. Where you go, what you're going to do, right? But we say things like, I will never let anyone hurt me like that again. I will never be like my mother. I will never be like my father. I will never have that person over again. I will never speak to that person again. I will not, I will, I won't. These definitive, always, never things. And what happens when we do that is we are declaring ourselves as Lord over our own life. And God doesn't like that. <laughs> it's not how it's supposed to be. And so we break off any, any uh, internal vow that we've made, and then we make declaration, you are my God. You say who I am. You say where I go and where I don't go. You say what I do, what I don't do. You're big enough to protect me. I surrender myself completely to you. That's the verbal agreements. And the next area of agreement many times are referred to as like soul ties, but it's a little bit more extensive than soul ties. These are relational bonds. Soul ties tend to be with people that you've been intimate with. Um, relational bonds are these, these same type of idea, these bonds that get formed with people, but friends, family, or people we've been intimate with. If you, if you know that in Greek, there's four words for the word love. We have one word for love. They have four. Uh, there's the word for love for God. There's love for family, love for friends, and um, intimate love. And in our design, we were designed to be in unity with one another. We were designed to be unified in the love of God. Well, the enemy has distorted that uni unity, and we become unified with people on all sorts of things that we should not be unified over. We become unified in gossip. We become unified in uh, chaos and dysfunction, um, in addiction, in whatever. And, and we say, how come every time I'm with this person, I fall back into the same pattern of relationship? I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I don't even want to say those things. And yet I'm with them, and all of a sudden it's like, blah, blah, blah. like it just happened. Well, that's because there's a relational bond that was formed. We want to sever those bonds. We want to send back to them what came from them and take back what's ours. Forgive them. Forgive yourself. And then we ask God to reestablish all of our relationships, all of our relational bonds through his love because that's how these things were made and designed to be. That our unity with one another was stemming first from our unity with him the love of God, then coming forth from us, and that that would be the establishment of our relationships. And so we'll do that. And if God gives you specific names of people, same as forgiveness, I just sever my relational bond with so-and-so. If, if it's with the government or with school system or whatever, again, just do the same thing. Um, Follow through with whatever Holy Spirit's showing you. If the Holy Spirit's showing you to break off your relational bond with your spouse or your children, that's okay. You probably have a bad relational pattern with your spouse or with your children. We're severing that, not to leave it open-ended, but so that then it will be reestablished the right way through the love of God. That's the whole point. We did this conference up at a uh, up in in Maine and. 
one of the pastors, he had been pretty, I think, pretty skeptical about it all until we went up there, and he actually heard everything, and by Saturday night, he came up at the end of everything, and he said, we're not waiting till tomorrow. You're doing this with me now. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're the pastor. I guess I got to maybe do this. I, I was telling everybody else, no, till tomorrow, uh, but okay, we'll go to the side. And so we went through and we got to this part of the relational bonds and he was sharing how he hadn't spoken to his brother in over two years. And he just said, I, I've got, it's just bad. We just have a very bad relationship, whatever. I haven't spoken to him in over two years. I said, okay, very simple. I want you to say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I sever my relational bond with whatever his name was, send back to him. Take back what's mine, forgive them, forgive myself. God, would you establish that relationship through your love the way you want it to be? And uh, we finish out, and he, as he's walking out of the church building, like 20 minutes later, his brother calls him. Yeah. We see that all the time. And not always, you got to be aware of it. If you're breaking off relational bonds with people that you had been intimate with in the past or something like that, because it is a real thing that's happening, many times a person on the other end all of a sudden is like, huh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. I feel like we need to reconnect, <laughs> you know, because something was severed, and so you might have people try to reconnect with you. Be very aware of how you reconnect, because you've just asked God to establish it a new way. And that, I'll tell you, these relational bonds, it's one of the ones we see the most amount of movement in as a result. People are going, I'm getting phone calls from high school sweethearts that I broke off like decades ago. You know, it's bizarre, but it's, it's a very real thing. I, I think we don't understand how powerful our unity is, that it's a very, it's a very strong thing, and we, it needs to be developed rightly. We've definitely broken off relational bonds with people that have died. Yep. Yep. I can't tell you scientifically what happens, but the person themselves is released from something. So, um, so there's that. And then the final agreement is um, assignments of the enemy that have been leveraged on a person's life. Now, we have a temple of witchcraft in our town. Uh, I've, I guess I've heard that you guys have witchcraft all around the area as well. You can be sure that they are sending out assignments over churches, over pastors, over their families, over children, over all of it. I know the one in our town definitely does. Um, they will actually send people into church gatherings as a visitor to get um, little artifacts that they bring back to their temple of witchcraft and put in their freezer. They do something called a freezer spell. And it is to keep the church from growing, from it, to keep it stagnant, whatever. The fact is, is that Jesus became a curse, so no curse could land on us, right? So, so we got we to gotta walk in that. But if we don't know what's going on and we don't know what to do, then we'll just be walking walking underneath the weight of that. And the reason I know this one, this was the final agreement that got it added on because my sister, who is, you know, missionary to Brazil and Haiti and all over the globe and has followed the Lord her whole life and all of this, um, 
It's her and her husband that pastored that church up in Maine, and she had asked us to come up when she was seeing all the things that were happening, all the people getting set free. She said, come on up, come on up. Went up there, and she said, all right, I want you to walk me through this first before we do this with the church. This is before I even had all these teachings. And I said, okay. And so I sat down with her, and I'm thinking, it's going to be nothing because she loves the Lord, <laughs> you know? Well, I've learned that I cannot predict who's going to manifest and who's not going to manifest. There's no rhyme or reason to it in my mind. It doesn't really matter. It all has to go on the cross anyways. But here I am with my sister, and we're, we're going back and forth, and I'm kind of walking her through breaking off agreement with stuff, and uh, she something begins to grip her throat, and she's like, can't breathe, and she's like, ah! it's got my throat, it's got my throat, it's got my throat. And we're, we knew it was two things called pain and suffering. Um, we're trying to kick them off. I'm like screaming, thinking maybe if I get louder, it'll leave. That's not how it works, okay? <laughs> but I was panicking. I, didn't, I was still very new at all of this, right? Go in the name of Jesus. You have to leave. Go, go in the name of Jesus. Go, go, go. And, and she's like, get it off, get off me, get off me, get off me. I mean, just dry heaving and all of this stuff. It was intense. I'm telling you it was tense. But then I remembered I have the Spirit of God inside of me. Thank you, Lord. That's what I remembered. I honestly, it saved my butt right there because I was like, wait, God, what is this? Why isn't it leaving? Why isn't it leaving? And I heard, it was, when I say I heard, literally it's a thought that goes through my mind. It feels like my own thought. It's not like a voice booming from heaven. You have to understand that. It just feels like a thought. So when I say I heard, that's what I mean. I had a thought go through my head that said, break off every voodoo curse that's been placed on her. And I was like, Wesley, Wesley, I want you to say in the name of Jesus, I break off every voodoo curse that's been placed on me. And she's like, in the name of Jesus, right? She ends up saying it. And as soon as the words left her mouth, boom, those things were gone. And she was completely fine. And we were like, <laughs> got to add that one to the list. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Like, wow, I didn't see that coming. But apparently... Curses are a thing, right? So we added that seventh agreement on there, and we break off any curses. And she actually, after that, we were talking, and she knew the moment that it had happened. She had visited a, a voodoo witch doctor's house, um, and she said, we had a really great conversation. <laughs> and then I left. I thought it was all good. And she just thought, well, it's not allowed to touch me, so I'm fine. And that's one of the the faulty beliefs that we as Christians have, can say and tout, you know, if we don't know what we're talking about, we'll say, oh, it can't touch me. I'm a child of God. That can't touch me. And that's not exactly true. If there's something there it can latch onto, it can touch you and it will touch you. And if you don't know what's going on, then you don't even know to break it off. And we're so used to crap anyways, what's a little bit more crap? We just think it's the weather. Like, we, we settle for stuff that's so silly. So anyways, we, we put in this seventh agreement to break off all witchcraft, all new age, all sorcery, all false religions, all curses, all sacrifices, incantations, you know, whatever comes to mind. Anything that's been done against the person themselves or the church that they're part of or their family or the region that they live in, the country that they live in, or any countries that they've been in. That's what we do. We go through all of those, and we break them off, and then we declare that we stand in Jesus' victory, 
that he became a curse, so no curse can, can stick with us, and no weapon fashioned against us is going to stand, and we command those things, it's time to go. That's how we finish out. Uh, actually, we then send out our own assignment, because if the temple of witchcraft can send out assignments, so can we, except our assignments are we just send warring angels to the temple of witchcraft to bring the spirit of truth to bring life and light, that the enemy would lose his camp, that all those people who are being abused by the enemy would be set free, that he would lose his grip in this community, he would lose his grip on people, the kingdom of God would be advanced and the enemy's kingdom would be demolished in Jesus' name. And so we send out assignments at the end as well. And then after that, that's when we tell things it's time to go because we've gone through all the agreements We've come out of agreement with the enemy. We've come into the agreement with Jesus, come into his promises, declared them, and then that thing has nothing to hang on to anymore. And we kick it out. So that's what we're going to do tomorrow during the 11 o'clock service. And um, I'm not doing a deliverance on you. Okay? And I know I said it before, but understand that. I'm going to kick something out of myself. I'm going to ask the Lord what, if there's anything there that I still got to go after. Um, if not, I'll make something up. But I'm going to walk you guys through you doing it because this is for your equipping in who you are, in what you've been given, and how to come into the fullness of it so that it's a launching place for you. You're going to get something out tomorrow and you're going to notice the changes. You're going to notice it. And then you just continue on. Don't settle for anything less than freedom. Because it was for freedom that Christ set you free. That's what it's all for. I'll tell you as well. I got to see a lot of people get healed during COVID, of COVID. We ca I crawled up into bed with people who were unable to open their eyes, walked them through these seven agreements and saw their temperatures go from 103 down to 98.6 and then be able to get up and be fine. It's amazing. God is amazing. He's really amazing. And, and, and I can't, I'm going to tell you again, I don't know all of it. <laughs> I'm just telling you where I've come to so far. There's a, a trail that's being blazed. I don't have all the answers, but what I've had so far, I'm telling you. Do with it what you will. Search it out. Study this things. Study the word. Talk to your pastor. Do, be part of a, a gathering of believers. You know, push into the Lord and go after it because there's more than what you know. Well, that about wraps up our podcast for today. I pray that it was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org. If you've got questions or comments about the material that you heard today, feel free to email us, info at newriverchurch.org. God bless you.